and, and welcome back to the Heather McCoy Show, Robin Williams, Flame Canada. Joining me on the line is Lila Shapiro, who writes for the HuffingtonPost.com. Uh, we'll be talking about her piece that recently ran on the Huffington Post about the equality fight in Alabama. It's called Maybe When We're, when we're Dead. It's a link to a story I just posted on our KUCI Twitter page that's also found at KUCI.org. Welcome to the show, Lila. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, uh, you're quite welcome. Um, the title of your piece, uh, Maybe When We're Dead, came from a freshman at a Safe Place meeting at Auburn University who responded to your question about when will the law in Alabama reflect the changes in the family attitudes after the group of students came out to their respective families. To give mostly our California listeners a time frame they can relate to, what collating time period in California's history is Alabama currently in? Is it in like the pre-70s Harvey Milk era, 1980s, 90s in their gay rights struggle? I would say, um, I would put it in the 70s. I mean, we've got one openly gay politician there. We've got no laws protecting LGBT people in any way. Um, and, you know, and in terms of attitudes, I mean, in the cities, in, in places like Birmingham, you know, which are kind of one of the most liberal places in Alabama, there's the, definitely the beginnings of kind of a vibrant LGBT community. But when you go outside, um, you know, the kind of borders of the city, things get, you know, considerably more closeted and difficult. One of the things that attracted me to the gay rights struggle in the Southeast is um, the film Small Town Gay Bar, because it seems like there's a dichotomy where those of us in the North and the West and the Northeast, well, LGBT people, LGBT people can get married and have almost full civil rights. There's one part of the country that's in the, kind of in the backwoods. What's life like for, for an average gay person in the South who isn't like a white-collar professional? Well, it, it's funny that you mentioned Small Town Gay Bar, because I actually wrote an article about um, that that bar. Um, it was under, under under a new owner. that The bar featured in that movie had shut down, and this woman was uh, suing the town because they had banded together and decided that they wouldn't allow her to open a new gay bar in this spot. And I think that that story actually is really good kind of telling what it's like to be living in a place like that. Like, you, you're, you know, one, one of the town residents there explained to me why she signed a petition to stop the bar from reopening, and she just said, well, I'm anti-gay. And I think, <laughs> you know, that, that's kind of a lot of what you'll, you'll be facing if you do come out of the closet in a, in a small town in the, in the South today. In the, in the actual movie Small Town Gay Bar, they went back in time a little bit and talked about the police harassment that uh, gay people would face. Is that still the case even in 2014? Um, I, I mean, I've definitely interviewed people that have had, you know, have told me experiences of being harassed, feeling threatened, feeling scared um, in their hometowns. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that in a lot of those places, it, it, it continues to be the case, even in 2014, when, you know, you go to a place like New York and, or, you know, San Francisco and feel completely comfortable. Yeah. Uh, in the story, you profile a lesbian couple, Anne Huckstep and uh, Carol Minzer, who found each other after um, a long time. And when they became a couple in 2001, they bought a trailer together outside of uh, the city of Birmingham, which to live. 
The trailer is interesting in that it's located in a small community secluded area where about 100 other LGBT people live. Is that common in the South, little clusters of trailers where all LGBT people live? I think that there are. I mean, this was like a, vaca a vacation community mostly. Oh, so this okay. Was kind of professional. Um, my, my impression, I didn't go there, but I've talked to a lot of people that spend time there. It's kind of like a, you know, a lakeside um, cluster of, um, you know, cabins where, you know, people, you know, it sounds like there's a kind of great social scene there for people and they can be really open and feel comfortable because, you know, they're in this place where they're really surrounded by um you know, friendly, friendly people. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, I talked to people kind of about the, the, the lifestyle there. And it seemed, you know, there's like, there will be sort of parties where hundreds of people, hundreds of gay couples will come from all over the state. Um, oh, wow. or, you know, kind of very, there was some sort of poker, regular poker night. I mean, it sounded like a very, it sounded really fun, and I mean, I think that there are other places that are like that where, you know, people kind of can come together and be open, and then they go back, you know, to Birmingham or Montgomery to their jobs in the city and l go back into the closet. Yeah, what is the significance of Patricia Todd being in the State House of Representatives in Alabama? Oh, sorry, say that again? Oh, uh, what is the significance of uh, Patricia Todd being mm. in the State House of Representatives in Alabama? I mean, you know, for the gay people that I interviewed, I mean, they see her as just, you know, a, a hero and kind of a, a beacon of hope. And, and people talk about her all the time and just sort of how happy they are to feel that they have, like, a representative in the state house, um, which is otherwise, you know, so openly hostile to the LGBT community. Um, and then, you know, so in terms of, I think, I think one of her, her biggest roles is just sort of playing that kind of, that's, you know, being that person for, for kids growing up, you know, a lot of the kids that I spoke to talked about her and how that really changed how they felt about their futures in their state because they think, like, well, here's an openly gay, you know, state, state lawmaker, and I can have an openly gay life here, too. One of the things I find fascinating about her was she stopped uh, caucusing with the Democrats after a Democrat tried to uh, present an anti-gay bill on the uh, state house floor, and she makes friends with Republicans. Um, that's kind of a that's a pretty good coalition builder, even if they don't vote with her yet. Definitely, and that's kind of her whole strategy is about. Um, she talks a lot about. Um, befriending Republicans and understanding the mind of the opposition and, and trying to see, trying to understand what arguments will appeal to them. Um, and, and she sees that kind of as like one of the main, the main projects that she's been working on during her years in office. Well, it seems like there's a different type of Republican, though, because Ted Olson argued he's, he yeah. was on the Bush side in Bush v. Gore, and Ted Olson actually opposed uh, Prop 8, and he argued that in the Supreme Court. Meanwhile, th there's a difference between a, a Ted Olson Republican and a Mississippi or an Alabama Republican. How does, how does she bridge that gap? Um, <laughs> yes, there's a huge difference. Um, I, I think that she, you know, basically, she sees herself 
almost as a missionary. She talks about her work as missionary work. And, you know, she wants to become friends with these people. And, and she sees how, you know, in, in so many stories across the political spectrum, when people talk about how they uh, came to change their position on, say, um, marriage equality, um, they'll often talk about a gay friend or family member um, who was the person that kind of ended up, you know, helping them come to this new understanding. And I think she she wants to be that person for her colleagues. And, you know, and it's kind of like everyone has to start somewhere. And, and she's kind of hoping that they'll start with her. Yeah. One of the stories that I found fascinating in the piece was long before the controversial Arizona and Kansas uh, Religious Freedom Act that would have effectively written in the law discrimination for LGBT people and accommodations law, Alabama got their first uh, re- religious freedom law in 1998, and uh, the author is Eric Johnson, who is an attorney who also wrote the uh, Protects um, Marriage Law in Alabama. And I just wonder if they ever, how they justify discrimination to themselves. That's, you know, getting into the mindset of your opponent. That's one of the ones that I just don't understand. Well, you know, I, I did. I um, I asked him about that, and I think for him, um, he, <laughs> he he he. It's hard to explain, but you know, he he doesn't see it as discrimination. Essentially, like he sees it as um, he feels discriminated against. He thinks that he sees himself as um, someone whose views um, are now kind of out of step with mainstream America, and that you know, kind of the the gay rights movement is really just kind of an attempt to force Christians like him into immoral um, acts such as, <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what, yeah. um, attending a, a friend's wedding perhaps, or, you know, he talked a lot about the cases that have been popping up in different states about um, how, you know, Christian bakers being forced to bake wedding cakes or photographers being forced to photograph uh, gay weddings. You know, on the opposite side of the spectrum, what I always find odd about that argument is somebody that's worked in customer service, when a Christian wants me to make, oh, I don't know, a photocopy of something religious, I don't feel put upon. I just put it in the machine and hit go and charge them for it. I don't see why they get all upset about if a gay person wants to do something like that. That, That's one of the odd things. Well, Patricia Todd said that she has a, a come back to that line that she often brings up when when her colleagues um, in the Capitol building talk about that and she says you know well most <laughs> most photographers and bakers are gay so eventually you'll probably start having to sue us <laughs> to make your wedding cakes <laughs> yeah that that's true um, so how ultimately is facing the denial of service attempts and public accommodations from the Christian right? in the form of, quote, religious freedom, a sign that political winds are indeed shifting in favor of LGBT people in Alabama? Well, I think that, you know, as as this professor uh, at Columbia Law School, um, who I spoke with for the piece, and, and she, um, Catherine Frankie, she's been um, part doing a lot of research on religious freedom um, laws right now and, and these various lawsuits that are... Um, you know, connected with with that, and and she sees she does see it as a as a shift um, because um, you know there's a, there's a, 
there's a difference, as, as she puts it, between feeling that you kind of hold the public agenda and um, and and don't really have to make these arguments that oh well, fine, go ahead with what you want to, but we Christians will be protected, um, and that's a very that's a very big shift. She she thinks. Oh yeah, definitely. One of the other big shifts is the human rights campaign HRC is making an $8.5 million investment in Alabama, Arkansas, and Mississippi to try to advance LBTG rights in those areas. One of my concerns is how do they put together a plan that includes locals so its resources doesn't have the feel of uh, astroturfing in grassroots organizing? Because it used, that usually blows up in your face, whether it's trying to install a government in Afghanistan that the people really don't want, or the cigarette companies trying to promote research that's flawed. Yeah, I think that that's a big concern for um, you know the LGBT people I, I spoke with in the state who are who are worried about about how the collaboration will really work, and it's still kind of in in its infancy, so it's it's difficult to know. I mean, I know that one of the people that they've hired, um, you know, so, I mean, they, they're definitely trying to hire Alabamans to work on the project, so I think that that's one thing that they'll be doing, but really how they're going to be spending their resources remains to be seen. Yeah, definitely, and at, at one point I was in the conservative mindset, so I know it a little bit, and so, like, I can see if, they, if it wasn't successful, they would just say, oh, a bunch of Hollywood money has flushed into our states and get them out of there. It's, it, it, it could blow up pretty devastating for the community down there if it doesn't go right. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely something to, to keep a close eye on. And, I, you know, I may be doing follow-up stories, like kind of looking into how the, how the effort really goes once it's been substantially underway. Yeah, I think that would be a, a worthy uh, thing to follow up on. Um, Alabama, as you write, does have some encouraging signs for LGBT people. Uh, you point out between 2004 and 2012, support for marriage equality has more than doubled. Uh, sh but should we read that support for marriage equality as full support of other LGBT rights? I'm not, I, you know, I, I don't know, actually. That's, that's a good question. Um, I don't think that we can say that for sure. Uh, although I, I do think just from kind of anecdotal, um, you know, conversations um, with conservatives who come to support marriage equality, most of those people that I've spoken with then also, you know, will say that they support, um, you know, anti-discrimination measures um, of various kinds as well. But, you know, but that's kind of an open question at, at this point in Alabama. Oh, definitely. Um, what are some of the short-term and long-term prospects as we stand now for LGBT rights in Alabama? Well, I think that, you know, short-term prospects, um, you know, could, in could include things like, you know, local non-discrimination measures. There have been other southern states that have been passing uh, local laws like that, especially Mississippi has, um, uh, Kentucky, uh, other southern other southern states. So I think that that could, could potentially happen um, as the kind of gay rights movement there continues to um, gain momentum. Um, and I think that the big thing that now that a lot of people are focusing on is just kind of encouraging more people to come out of the closet, tell their, talk to their friends and family members, and, um, you know, nothing really moves forward when you have a closeted society. 
Oh, definitely. And that would fit in with the time period where you think Alabama's at, because I saw the Life and Times of Harvey Milk recently, and that was one of his main goals was to keep people up, get people out of the closet so their family members would at least know they're gay. Yeah, totally. Um, any thoughts you want to leave off with? Um, you know, I was surprised by how vibrant the community seemed in Birmingham, and that's not something that I was expecting to find when I went there or really knew about beforehand. But, you know, when, when I went, I, I went to this museum opening um, of the second ever um, LGBT exhibit at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. And, you know, it was a really big, supportive crowd, and I could I, – I was – I was surprised, and I thought it was pretty exciting. It seemed like definitely um, a sign that that things were beginning to change. Oh, definitely. My guest has been Lila Shapiro. Her piece was on the Huffington Post, and it's called uh, "When Maybe When We're All Dead, and it's uh, a lot more positive than that story title would suggest. Um, thanks for being on the show uh, this morning. Thanks so much for having me. And, of course, this is The Heather McCoy Show.